see you here this morning. And, and I'm excited for today's message and excited for what we're going to do today. We're, we're talking about some, uh, some, some wonderful things God's doing in our, in our church right now. And this morning I got here, and one of the coolest things is when I got here today, it was still dark outside. And you say, well, why is that great? Well, that's great because it's getting too close to fall. How many of y'all are excited about fall coming right now? Come on now. Can we hear it this morning? That's right. Fall is on its way. Uh, what is, I love fall. Um, I, school starts again, so the kids go to, no. I love fall because uh, it is football. It's, it's the leaves. It's beautiful. It gets cooler outside. I can work outside again and not, you know, sweat. And, and so it's just a great time. But my, perhaps my favorite part of fall is Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving. How many of y'all in this place do you say, I love Thanksgiving. It's my favorite time. Absolutely. That, that really is my favorite. Thank, my favorite holiday is Thanksgiving. And I remember as a kid, we had some pretty wonderful times at Thanksgiving. I remember sitting at a table much like this one when I was a kid. And actually, it wasn't like this one because, because I sat at the card table because that's where the kids sit, right? You know, that's where I started out until I was about 25. I mean, I mean you know, I wasn't that, that old. But uh, and actually, I'm the oldest of my family of uh, the kids. And so I started out at the kids' table but didn't last at the kids' table very long. Um, I got to graduate to the grand adult table when I was uh, just a young teenager, and I rubbed it in my, my, my brother's face all the time, believe me. And so, so that was a pretty wonderful thing. But man, I can think back to my grandma's stuffing. I think back, and, and she's gone now, but she made the greatest stuffing in the world. What was her secret? I've heard it was a lot of butter. And so that was kind of her thing. But she made some incredible stuffing. My, my grandma was a wonderful cook. And when it came to Thanksgiving, her unwritten rule was always to make way too much food. Anyone else have a grandma like that where they just made too much food? And, and so if you would ask my grandma royalty, why so much food? She would say, well, I don't want to run out. That would be, be terrible. I, I think that probably would have been the worst thing in the world for her. But for us to run out, there would have had to be a legitimate army there because there was so much food. And so, but I, I did, I, I loved our Thanksgiving times. I love that there was always a spot to sit at the table. Whenever you got there, there was large tables decorated. There was the kids' tables, the card tables that were kind of in the corner. There was was the bar where you could sit on on a high top. There was all kinds of spots and places to sit. When my wife and I, uh, when, we, when we became uh, pastors in Kalamazoo, we, we kind of took the same tradition with us. Again, I love Thanksgiving so much, and so we actually um, had a large table at our house in Kalamazoo, and we filled it every year with some friends of ours for what we called Friendsgiving. Now, back when we did this, we didn't know this was a trend. People do this now. They have this, like, thing. We didn't know that. We were just having friends over. So we would have a bunch of people over at, before Thanksgiving for a giant feast, and it was great. And my wife would say, well, how much should I make? And I would say, well, make so much that no, that no one's going to go home, home without being stuffed. And my wife is also an incredible cook. And we would make so much food. And there would be food left over. And there would be more food. And we would have uh, turkey sandwiches. We would have pie. We would have all kinds of things left over after people sat at the table. 
And I remember at the table in our house, there was laughter, there was fun. We had a kid's table. Uh, and we had all kinds of people there. We had people who had stood. We had people who sat on the floor. We had, our, our house was full of friends that became family at Thanksgiving time. I love this time of the year. I love the food. I love the time. And I love it when you eat and you think, I'm never going to eat again. Right? You ever think that before? You're like, I'm never eating again until that night when they pull out the cold turkey and you still maybe a little more, you know, for some sandwiches. And then they say, what, what kind of pie you want? And then you say, well, I want one of each. You know? And, and so uh, that's part of the fun of Thanksgiving as well. But I do, I love this time of the year. Like, I'm thinking about something. What if someone came to our meal at our house to sit at our table and we did not have a spot left for them to sit? Would have been awful. It would have been an embarrassing situation. It would have been a terrible thing. It would have been, would have been awkward. And this morning we're talking about making room at the table. And why the table? Why the table on the stage? Well, the, Bi- the Bible has lots of stories where the table is involved. We're, we're talking about this today, and there's a cool story in 2 Samuel chapter 9 where David wants to show favor to one of his best friend's family members. And so he calls upon uh, the, 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 the servant of King Saul to ask if there's any of these people left. Let's read it today. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1, it says, And David said, Is there still anyone left in the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, if you're new to the Bible, Jonathan was David, King David's best friend. Uh, Jonathan was the son of King Saul. And, of course, David replaced Saul as king, and Saul was not such a nice guy, and so let's just be honest on that one. But uh, David replaced him. David was a wonderful king. But again, David's best friend was Jonathan. And so Jonathan had long passed away. And so he said, there's a servant in the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called, and they called him to David, and the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. Let's skip down a bit. He said, there is still a son of Jonathan. He's crippled at his feet. He asked him for some help. And so the king said, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Emil, at Lodabar. And I'm going to pause there because Lodabar means something. Lodabar literally means the, the literal interpretation of Lodabar is no, uh, uh, no pasture. Or no fields. Now in these days when you, it was all pretty much agricultural, if you didn't have a place for your cows and, your, and such to, 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 to graze, you had nothing. So Lodabar was known as an out-of-the-way place. It was outside of the, of the borders of the country. It was, it was far off. It was far away. It was, no one wanted to be in Lodabar because it was nothing. It was kind of like Wisconsin. And so, so he continues here and he says, uh, he continues here, the king David said and brought him from the house of Machar, the son of Emil at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. He answered, behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table 
always. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, give us understanding of what your word is telling us today, Lord God. Give us, Lord, this, we talk about edits from your, that you've shown us, Jesus. Lord, help us to see this this morning. I pray this in your strong and, and holy name. And everyone says, amen. I, I love that story. Imagine being Mephibosheth. First of all, your name is Mephibosheth, right? Say that fast 10 times. But, but no, imagine being this, this man, Mephibosheth. Your grandfather was the king, King Saul, uh, the, the most powerful king. He was wealthy. He was rich beyond comparison. And then, of course, your father was Jonathan, who was also wealthy and was the son of the king. And, and wealth, and, and there's, there's influence. And, and then your, your, your dad's best friend is David, who is, by this point, the nation of Israel is the most powerful nation on earth. And there is wealth, and there is power, and such. And so imagine you are Mephibosheth, and you are stuck in some faraway place when no one knows who you are, and you are out there, and you think, no one knows who I am, I've forgotten about he was, he was not doing well. And of course, he was, he, he, was, he was crippled. He was crippled because his nurse dropped him at age five when his father was, was killed. The, 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 the palace had been raided. So his, his nurse took him out of the palace and, and ran with him and dropped him on the ground. And from that point forward, this poor man was crippled. You can imagine the kind of life that, that he had and he is forgotten about. Read down in this passage, and he saw himself as a dead dog. Gone someplace far off, far away, and for no other reason other than the kindness of the king, you are now eating at the king's table. You can imagine how he feels as this happened. Of course, at first he says, well, who am I? I'm nothing. And David says, I want to show your father grace. I want to show your father favor by showing that favor to you. I, I love this story. And there are many stories in the Old Testament that foreshadow things that happen in the New Testament. And I think this is one of those kinds of spots because listen to the story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 14. He says, this is how it works. And, and so he says, he says, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. Now, this man was not just an ordinary man. He wasn't like me having people over to his house on Oakland Drive for a turkey dinner. This would have been a king, a very wealthy man. This was a common custom of society, that if you were wealthy, you had big, giant banquets. And so that's what's happening here. And he says he invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. Now pause. If I would have called my grandma back when she was still alive and she made all this food and put all the butter and, you know, five pounds of butter and her stuff. If she did all this stuff and she got this all ready for Thanksgiving and, and she invited me to come and I said, Grandma, I really appreciate your all work that you've done. I appreciate that. And I know it's Thanksgiving, but I've got gutters to clean. And so the, the leaves are all come down. I got to do that. I'm not making it this year Thanksgiving. What would she have said? Right? You can imagine what your grandma might have said in that situation. And, and so we know that if this is happening, it's not just that I have dirty gutters. 
that there's deeper reasons why I have given excuses. And that's what's happening here in this story. These people are giving excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Now, I get that one. But, but he continues here, verse 21. He says, so the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servants, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the, lime, or the, the, the lame and the blinds. And the servant said, sir, what you've commanded has been done, but there is still room. And the master said to the servant, go to the highways and the hedges and compel. Everyone say compel. That word compel is an important word. Compel people to come in that my house may be filled. This is an ironic story. And the reason why this is ironic is because it would have never happened. This story, again, this is a parable that Jesus tells to prove a point. This story would never have happened. For you to be invited to the home of someone at wealthy and powerful, you would have never said no. You would have never said no because this was part of being wealthy and powerful and society. You had to go to this kind of stuff. Some of you who are introverts, you say, I could never have made it back then. Well, this was part of, of life, and it was an invite, was a privilege that you did not turn down. If you can imagine living in, in, a, in a somewhat uh, a society, there's no TV, there's no, you know, it's, it's pretty quiet, it's the desert, there's not much going on. This was it for these people, and this was a big deal. And, and, and going to these things kept you in society. Actually, even the position you sat in at one of these meals, that position established you and your power and your authority. Business got done. Things happened. Deals got brokered at these kinds of meetings. You did not miss a banquet. And so for these people to say this, the listeners could very well have been saying, no way this could happen. That this guy is inviting these people to come. They say, no, that's probably not going to happen. And then on the other side, it's just as ironic for those who were there to even be there. Again, you can picture and imagine here, uh, uh, if you're invited as you are not society, you are not nothing, and, and this, this, this person comes and invites you to the king's palace. And he tells you to come, and you'd say, me? The king's palace? I don't think so. There's got to be a joke. It's, it's not real. It's not true. No one would ever invite me to the king's palace. See, again, these people are not Westerners. They, they stay in their lane. You don't go. If you are a poor person from the highways and the hedges, you don't go to king's tables. If you're a person who is crippled or lame or blind, much like Mephibosheth, you don't get to invite it to the king's table. You don't sit in those kind of places. So these people came and said, come to the king's table. They might have said, me? What would the king want of me? And further, there was a thing at these times called reciprocity. 
And reciprocity meant that if you invited someone to your table, then you had to also return the favor to them as well. And so, so if I invite you to a meal, then you have to invite me to a meal, and you have to give me a preferred seat at your table. It was a common custom, a common courtesy at this time. And so these people might have said, well, I have no home. I have no place for the king to eat. Why would he want me to come? I can't throw a meal. I can't do this. Their whole world is being thrown off by this story here. And Jesus knows this. And he tells the the king says, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel them to come. That word compel is an interesting word. The word compel in Greek is the word anagazo. And anagazo is used in the New Testament in an interesting way. The anagazo in the New Testament is used to, 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 to talk about necessitating or compelling or driving true or constraining someone to do something. So in other words, when the king says go out to these places, he is saying tell them to come and don't take no for an answer. They're going to reject you. They're going to say no. They're going to say, I don't want to be there. For whatever reason, the king says, they're going to tell you this thing, but don't take no for an answer. Compel them to come. You see, the first group gave excuses. The invited ones, the ones that had the legal rights, or so to speak, to be there, they gave excuses. The second group didn't think they were worthy. But every single one of them were invited. And church, these rich parables, these rich stories reveal something about the heart of God that we have to see and notice here today. And there is much here. We could spend hours on these passages because they are rich and they are thick. And there is many things here. But at the very bottom of this, God's heart is revealed for people. That God loves people so much that he put a chair at the table for every single one of us. Whether we do or don't, should or shouldn't, God put a table, put a chair at his table for every single one of us. And one more, and one more, and one more. Again, just the very nature of the king saying, they've been invited, and they're here, and there's still room. When he says, then go out and compel everyone to come step to my table. See, church, there is room at the king's table for you. This is what I think this reveals about the heart of God and the call of, of the believers and the call of the church in this time and in this season on the planet. See, we are not here to just merely teach people about God. Oh, that's important. We're not here just to merely have fellowship time and hang out and have a good time together. All of those things are valuable and important. We're not here just to have meals, although when we do, they're wonderful. Uh, last last uh, Sunday night, we had our picnic. It was awesome. There was a lot of food there. And, and so those are wonderful things. Those are good things. We're not just here to sing. We're not just here to read. We are here to prepare a spot at the table for God, for God's presence to minister and work in people. Can I get an amen this morning? You see, God's called us to put, to to do things, to have people sit at his table. And this gets good this morning because there is, this gets deeper as we go. 
You see, our church is a church where we want anyone to be able to find a spot at the king's table. You know what I love about our church? Our church is diverse. We have young, we have old, we have rich, we have poor, we have black, we have white, we have all, all kinds of, of types and, and, and people and such. I love that. I love we're not just a bunch of young families. I love we're not just old. I love that we are every wit, every place in between. Church, that's the call that God's placed upon us. That we are here to make a spot at the king's table for anyone to participate. It's, what, it's the why behind our mission. We are here to make it simple for people to find and follow Jesus. And that looks like something. But you know, in these stories, there's, there's three characters in each of these stories. From the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's three characters that are the same character. There's the king, there's the invitees, and there's the servant. The, story, the, 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 the Old Testament story of, of David had the, 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 the person, Ziba, was, was, was the servant. And I got a question for you today. What character do you think we as the church are. Well, all of us at times have been found ourselves as the invitees, but we as a church, we are number three. I'll give you a little hint. We are number three. We are the servants. We don't have the power. We don't have the authority. We don't have the ability to give people everything they need. We can't save people, we can't deliver people, we can't do those things, that's not our job. We can't do it, we're not the Holy Spirit. How many of you are thankful that we're not that, that's not our job, it's not us. But what we are is we are the ones to bring the people to the table where they can participate and partake of the presence and the power of the Almighty God. Can I hear it this morning, church? That's our call. Both times God's heart is revealed. Go and find and bring them back. Well, why would David have mercy? Why would David care about Mephibosheth? Why would the king care about these, these people, the highways and the hedges and the, the, the people that are there? Why would, why would he do those things? Reveal something about his character that he wants people to come sit at his table and be with him. Our church, our church is a place where people can come experience the presence of God and be changed in it. The last few weeks, it's been amazing. God has done some incredible things at these altars. Of course, last week we had people give testimonies of, of healings and, and salvation and deliverance. And God's doing things in the lives and the hearts of people. And I will tell you, it's not me. It's not us. It's not me that's doing this. It is God's power and presence and authority. Amen? It's him who works. It's him who ministers. And he calls us like he called Ziba to go get Mephibosheth and make a spot at his table for him. Amen? What's interesting is that a lot of scholars believe that Ziba was actually living in the spot of Saul's old place. He had his old home, his old land. And so when David said, when David said, Ziba, you're going to go do this, Ziba was now going to be, lose his home in essence. 
He had moved in. He had made himself uh, uh, comfortable at this spot. And you know, sometimes we can get to God's table and we can, we can receive from him and enjoy his presence and, and he changes us and he ministers in us and get this sense that we own the thing, that we are entitled to it. Zeba was the servant. And like Zeba, we are the same. There can be no clearer picture of God's call to his people than, than these two stories. And it's with this heart today that I want to share some exciting new things that are happening here in our church and some changes that we're about to take place. And so I, I want to just talk for a few minutes and be honest about some things. We're growing. You look around and you say, yes, we are. We, we are, are growing. Yeah, to be honest with you, we have never really stopped growing in the last four years. We had John Seafelt uh, do a, a number. John is our treasurer. Do a numbers comparison year by year, week by year, week over the last four years. We have never dropped below a 20% growth rate year by year, week by year. Sometimes it's been 30% and even above, but we have never dropped below 20% since we got here. That is absolutely, that's a God thing, church. That really is. That's, that's what God's doing. Amen. We came here with a sense and a purpose that God wants to do something incredible in this area. We don't hold back on God's presence. We don't hold back in letting people minister and work. We don't hold back in letting the Spirit of God touch people because that's what changes people's lives. Not me, not my preaching. It's Jesus Christ that changes. Amen? We are vessels. We are what? We are servants. And God's doing this. It's pretty incredible, to be honest with you, to see what God has done. Over this last few, few months here at church, our attendance numbers would have been our high watermark in 2017. We would have been jumping for joy in 2017 and said, whoa! And now it's pretty much our every week thing. That makes up this. There's, there, there's still a, a number of people gone weekly on vacations and camping. Our church loves to camp. And so people are gone camping weekly. Uh, and so this is how it breaks down right now. Right now, most Sundays lately, we've had about a, 130 to 140 adults in this room. And, and so last week, we actually had 153 adults in this room. Tonight, I think we've actually had more than that this week, but, but we have about that many. We have 70 kids, fifth grade and under, back there, and that's not like a high number. That's pretty much weekly, about 70 kids. Give God some glory, because that's pretty amazing. Because there's a lot of places that are saying, we can't get kids to come or young kids to come. We got them coming out of the woodwork here at our church. And it is good. We're thankful for that. God has blessed us incredibly. 70 kids weekly. Last week we had a realization that we had several kids that come every week that were gone. We had 70-some kids last week. If everybody was here, we'd have been actually in trouble last week because we had rooms that were overrun last week. Typically, here's an example. We have one room, our baby's room. This is, this is babies that are one and under. That room last week had nine babies in it. You know, so that's not that big of a deal. It's a 24 by 24 room with nine babies and three adults, 12 bodies, a 24 by 24 room. That's a lot. What also happened last week is we had two people who brought their babies to drop them off and turned around and went out because the room was too full. Now, I want to say if that was you, Last week, 
I'm glad you're here, and I'm sorry for that. We're working on addressing this thing. We want our kids to be safe here at church. Amen? That's what happened last week, and that's we have about four or five more coming to the pike here pretty soon, church. Like, we have about four or five more babies. Well, we had one board on Friday that are coming down the pike here that are in the oven. So there's a lot of babies in this church. There's a lot of babies in this church. That's, let's just be honest. But here's, this is what's also super interesting. Uh, 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 conservatively, 40% of our attendance is fifth grade and under. 40% on a weekly basis of our attendances, and that number can be higher than that sometimes. Now, here's a deal. Throughout America, the America, the typical church in America has 20% of its attendance, fifth grade and under. So what this tells us is that we have twice as many kids in this church as a church of our size should have. Now, you're like, my head's spinning. So in other words, we have as many kids in our church as a church of about 500 people has. And so that puts that in perspective, doesn't it? We have a lot of kids in this church. And when it comes to kids, when it comes to more kids, you need more volunteers and you need more help and you need more people to, to jump in, jump on board. We need as many volunteers in our church as a church of 500 people needs. I have worked at larger churches. We have a lot of kids in our church. And so we have seen numbers that, that, that are across the board are similar to churches of twice our size. That's incredible, isn't it? That's a pretty incredible thing. And, and there's, there's even more. You see, our, our youth ministry is growing. Two weeks ago, I don't know last week yet, but two weeks ago, we had, we had 35 teens in this room, 14 adults and college-age students. We had 49 people out at our youth service two weeks ago. That's pretty awesome. God's doing good things. Last year, we estimated we had around 100 people involved in connection groups. That's over half of our attendance was involved in connection groups. Our church is generous. We have a much larger percentage of our church that volunteers than most churches in America. We have a ton of people in this church that volunteer. If I had you stand up at volunteers, pretty much everyone in this room would be saying, I volunteer at some point. When we do our volunteer appreciation meals, pretty much everyone at church shows up because our church is generous with their time and, and their money and their talents. Our church last gave over $50,000 towards missions. That's pretty incredible. Give God some glory for that because that's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. But I'll tell you one thing too, one of my favorite things about us is that we are typically have about 20% of our attendance are people that are giving their hearts to Christ for the first time. Last year, we had about 40 people that said, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus for the first time. 40 people in this church said yes. Some of you 40 are here this morning, and I know who you are. Give God some glory for that. Come on now. Because that's big. That's pretty amazing because we are seeing people come to Christ within our church. And that's, that's pretty awesome. God gets the glory. All of these things happening, and our building is staying the same exact size, right? Like, our building hasn't grown yet. Now, we are, we are addressing that. We have a team of people that are working towards a good, solid plan that makes sense to expand our building. We have to do it at some point. And so we're working on that. 
The details are coming, but we're not ready to put shovel in the ground yet. And so because of that, we have a choice to make. And I know this might be the worst kept secret on the planet, but this is where we're, this is what it is. We have rooms that are bursting on Sundays. This room itself. Look around you this morning. This room is not full, although it's getting close to that point. There's 250 seats in our sanctuary. You can pack about 300 in here. We've done it before for a, 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 a funeral. Uh, there's no place left to walk when there's 300 seats in here, but we've done it before. Uh, but so right now there's 250 seats. Um, you can't put 250 in these seats, though, because if you did, you would have to sit right next to each other, and no one wants that, right? No, churches tend to be full at 75%. So if that's the case, I hear the amen, no, if that's the case, then 250 seats makes us full at 180. We are not far from 180 adults and teenagers in this church on a Sunday morning. If our, if our, if our growth continues, we'll be there uh, before the end of the year. We'll be to that place where there's more than 180 adults attending on a Sunday morning. Now, this brings us to a point of choice. We could say, we're good, right? We could say, that's it. We're good. We are fine. This is what's going to happen. We're going to just let this happen as it happens and no more people. This is how it's going to be. Or we can make room at the table. Which one do you think I am for? I just, that's a little bit of a, of a question there. And so what we're going to do is we're going to make some room at the table. I don't know how long it'll last for. We might do this for months, maybe years, maybe the rest of our existence we will do this. But starting on October 7th, we are going to two services. So we're going to do this for several reasons. And so uh, the service times are going to be 8.45 and 10.30. We have worked towards the idea of asking people, well, what's important? Do you want to start earlier or do you want to get out earlier or do you want to start later and get out later? And this is what... Me neither. We have come to the point that if we can have... 30 new people step in to our uh, kids' ministries on Sunday to commit to serve one time a month for one service. If we have 30 people step forward, then we can make this, this possibility happen, that we can take care of our kids and have people continue to, 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 to come to church on a regular basis. Because I know that we don't want to see it happen where we get involved in kids and we're never, ever at church. And so we don't want that to happen either. And so we don't want people to feel isolated. So we want to try to make this work that, that we can still have people here on Sundays but also serving in our kids' church. And so we have come to a place where if we can have 30 people step forward and say, I will do this, I will serve like this, then this is possible to happen. And actually, we need 29 people because on our board meeting, Carter Barnes said, I'll be the first one to sign up and say, I'll be that man. And so give it for Carter. Where's Carter at today? Give it up for him. because He said, he said I'll be that man. But you know what else? There's another guy that said that. It'll be me. 
I'm also stepping into this role as well. I, this is not a gimmick. It's not a thing. I want you to know how important I see this opportunity that we have as a church. So I'm also throwing my hat in the ring. I'm going to be serving in our kids' ministries about four times a year. And I can't do the full thing because you wouldn't let me. But, but, but no, I'm, I'm going to serve in our kids' ministries four times a year. Pastor Tyler and I are going to trade off, and we're going to serve together. Why do this? Because, church, we are at a critical crossroads. God has blessed us richly with the next generation. God has blessed this church richly with children and young people that want to know Jesus. This morning, man, a young person came up to me and it blessed my heart, who put his arms in my shoulders and prayed for me this morning. And I was like, oh God, this is it right here. This young man, I won't call him out today, but man, it was awesome. That's what God's called us to do, to invest in the next generation. Children's ministry is not just a, a child care service. It's not just a thing we do to drop our kids off. We as a church invest in the next generation. We want people that come to our church, that when they bring their children to our church, that they know that we are investing in their children. We don't babysit. We teach kids the gospel stories. It is clear on our children's ministries that this is what we do. We teach the gospel stories. I want our kids to grow up through our children's ministries with a full, firm understanding of who God is and what he does through the stories of the Old and New Testaments. Can I get an amen this morning? That's what we do. We invest in kids, church. We invest our kids. We want our kids' workers to have time to be able to, to refresh and be together here and on Sunday mornings at church. We want our, our kids' workers to have time to, to be with us as well at church. My mom, who serves consistently in kids' ministries, is oftentimes down there. Not because she doesn't want to be in here, but because she doesn't want to be there. She was, she's, she's torn. She loves children. And I want to see people like my mom and my wife who... People say, well, are you, you're married? <laughs> yes, I am. My wife serves almost every single week in our kids' ministry. You might say, well, I, I'm not really a kids' worker kind of person, and I'm not either. We don't need kids' workers. We need people who would say, I'll, I'll invest in the next generation. We need people that would say, we need grandmas and grandpas to hold babies. We have kids that come to our church that don't have moms and dads. We have kids that come to our church that come from broken homes. We have kids in our church that literally get dropped off at a foster home the night before and then find themselves here at church on Sunday morning. Thank God for that. Amen. Come on now. That's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. That's a blessing. We have kids in this church that have special needs. We have kids in this church that have all kinds of needs. In church, we get to invest in them. We get to spend time and help them grow up with Christ. Pastor, talking about this a lot. Yes, I am. I'm passionate about this. Because I don't want our kids to grow up and say, I never got invested in when I came to church. I have here this morning, I have some, some, some sheets I'm going to put back here in a minute. I don't want this to be gimmicky. I don't want this to be like, we're going to make you do this today. I'm not doing that. I'll make it easy, though, for you. So I'm going to put some sheets up here today. And I want you, if you feel called and led to say, I can do this, 
I can step in. I'll be one of those 30 people. Please, if you could, grab one of these sheets and take a piece of paper and sign up and put your name on that, and we will get you involved. 30 new people. Some of you have been with us for just a short time or a couple years, and you've not had a chance to step into a spot of involvement. This is a great spot. We're going to need people to step forward as, as greeters and as ushers. And you still what's all the details? Well, we don't have all the details worked through yet. We're going to reveal those as the time is correct. And I don't want to overwhelm you today with details and things, but I do want to tell you this. We are making room at the table for people to come and experience Jesus. Amen? Would you stand across this room today? Pastor Joe, if you'd come. We're making room. My call this morning is not just for this purpose. As Pastor Joe comes, and Lori, if you could come too, it would be great. And just play, play for us a, a little bit this morning. And we're going to take some time to, to worship Jesus this morning. We need people to step forward as help to serve and to help and kids and youth and all this kind of stuff. Certainly we have to do that. And that's vital and that's important and that's massive and that's huge. We're at an incredible spot. But one thing that's so great about what God's doing right now in our church is that he is blessing us with, with doing wonderful things among us. To bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. Because this story here has three characters. It has the king, who is obviously not us. It has the invitees, who all of us have been there at some point, and it has those who are called to serve, and that would be the church. Heads bowed, eyes closed this morning. You might be here today and you might say, Pastor, I don't have much to give. I don't have anything to do. I don't have that spot. I don't have that this morning. I just, I'm not there. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior yet. And I want you to know something about these stories today. These stories do not reveal, they not tell us that God wants you to work harder and do things. These stories reveal the heart of God. That the heart of God is a heart that is consistently calling people to his table. That the heart of God is calling people to sit and to be in his presence. And this morning, if, this is, if you hear this and say, oh, one more thing, then don't sign up. Or if you come here today and you hear all this and you say, I don't have anything to give. I don't have much. I will tell you today, the heart of God's revealed here and he loves you and he wants you and he's calling out to you and he's consistently doing this from day in and day in and day out and day out because he loves you. I love the story of Mephibosheth. Is he has nothing to give. But yet, just because of the grace and mercy of the king, he is called to the king's table. The same is revealed about God to you. But for the grace and mercy of God, you are called to the king's table. Not because of what you give or you provide or because of what you have, can do for him, because he loves you. And I will have you know this, when you sit at the king's table, you can expect a wonderful meal. You can expect that there will be laughter and there will be joy. You can also expect that you will never be the same. You can expect him to ask questions. 
You can expect him to minister. You expect him to pull things out of you that you didn't even know were there. You expect him to pull things out that you didn't understand were there. Why? Because he loves you. There's a real thing called sin. There's a real thing called bondage. And many people are under those things. Why do we do this? Because we want people to come out of that stuff. We put them at the king's table. And if you're there this morning, I want to invite you to the king's table. I'm a servant this morning. Christians praying, heads bowed, eyes closed this morning. God is calling you to the king's table. If you're here today and you would say, Pastor, I don't know Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I'm going to pray for you and with you this morning. If that's you, heads bowed, eyes closed. If that's you today, I'd like you to raise your hand and say, I want to make a decision today to follow Jesus. I don't always do this, but today I feel that I should. You'd say, I want to follow Jesus today. We're going to pray and we're going to ask God to come into your life. But if that's you, would you raise your hand? A few more moments and I'm going to close this portion off. Five, four, three, two, one. Let's pray today. If you raised your hands or if you didn't raise your hand but you wished that you would have or you're just still a little timid, we're going to pray the prayer of salvation this morning. Dear Jesus, Come into my life. Come into my heart. I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for what I've done. Clean me. I admit I need you today. From this day forward, I'll be different. From this day forward, I'm yours. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everyone said... Amen and amen. Heads bowed still, eyes closed this morning. No one looking around. Because you might say, Pastor, you're talking to me today. I don't know where you are. You might volunteer weekly. You might volunteer monthly. You may have never stepped foot in a volunteer position in a church in your entire life. But if God has put something on your heart today, that you would say, I want to be involved with inviting people to the king's table, if that's you, I want you to raise both hands this morning, not just one, and not timidly, but raise both hands today and say, God, that's me. Lord, that's me. Hands are going up across this room. I want to be involved in inviting people to your table. If that's you, again, raise your hands this morning, and we're going to pray a prayer, and we're going to worship God one more time today. But I want that that's you to say, God, give me the strength to do this. You might be here today, you might, your hands are raised, and you are tired because you've been doing a lot of inviting lately, and you need the strength of the Spirit to come and minister in you. You might be here today and timid because you're not sure what this means, but you know you're in. Jesus, our hands are raised across this church. Lord, this is our heart as a, as a body of believers. Lord, this is our heart. We want to make it simple for people to find and follow you, Jesus. We want to invite people to your table. Lord, we want people to know you. We want people to experience your presence. Lord, your power. Lord, we want people to know you are Jesus. Lord, will you do that in us? We pray in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone says, amen.